What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The Federal Reserve not touching interest rates this round. Newberger Berman's Steve Eisman tries to read the tea leaves. I listened to Powell's press conference and he's just as confused by all the different data points as everybody else. Maybe that's why he's, he wants to pause, because he doesn't know what to do. And Disney buying the rest of Hulu. Not everyone's happy. You've been sour on Disney? I have. Forever. I have. I have, ever since Comcast tried to buy him and they said no. <laughs> Those stories today, plus Palantir standing up for Israel. And the New York City Marathon takes off this Sunday. 50,000 people racing and plenty more cheering, including Brooks running CEO Jim Weber. We think we'll have almost 10,000 people out there running in our shoes on Sunday, so we're, we're going to cheer them on. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The Fed holding rates steady as expected, but the door remains open for future hikes and levels would remain elevated into 2024 to tamp down inflation. At least that's according to what the central bank is saying right now. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. My colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. Today, we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. The bank also saying that the nation's economic activity expanded at what they are calling a strong pace in the third quarter. We know that. We know that from the GDP numbers. These are Wednesday's gains that we're looking at right now. The major averages all finishing with strong gains, the S&P and the NASDAQ both adding more than 1% after that conference. In fact, the NASDAQ was up by 1.6%. That is the most interest rate sensitive of the indexes. And then the yield curve right now. Four seven. Yeah, some pressure that this put on the 10-year, right right across the board for the yields, uh, uh, the 10-year at 4.71, the two-year at 4.9, so even the two-year back below 5%. It was dovish, wasn't it? Here's the the headline. The Fed's pal hinted, hinted, Hint, hint, hint that the central bank might be done. So if yeah. that's the headline that, yeah. although they leave more on the table, did you see all today? 80? No, I didn't. Where 80 bucks. All the way down. All the way down to 81. I don't know. Call these cross Not because of the... Cross currents. It's not because tensions in the Middle East are, are lowering in any way. That's weird that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that hasn't been the, that hasn't been it, but it's demand, isn't it? It's not supply. Yeah, and we're talking about a very strong third quarter GDP print here. But that's one of the strongest in the world. You can't look anywhere else and really find stronger numbers. And Stan Druckenmiller laid out yesterday, it's because he thinks of fiscal spending that we're doing here. Yeah, felt like opening up my wrists yesterday after listening to him. Meantime, another move in the battle for streaming dominance. Disney buying Comcast stake in Hulu. Disney paying at least $8.6 billion for the third of the streaming service that didn't already own. The initial payment is due before December 1st. And then what's going to happen, it's kind of unusual, 
Then there's going to be these ongoing negotiations that will continue to determine what's called the full value of Hulu and any additional payments to Comcast uh, via a, sort of a, a, an arbitration process of, of sorts. A, 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 if they can't agree with the 10% of the value, that, then they go to third-party arbitration, right. which I, I think happens from time to time when you when you have a split like right. this from a majority owner taking it. Only unusual insofar as there's an agreement that there's going to be a payment made first, and then they'll figure out the rest later. Uh, Disney acquired the majority control of Hulu in 2019 when it purchased Fox's entertainment assets. Uh, in that year, the service is nearly 50 million subscribers and, of course, Comcast, parent company of our network. I mean, I think that was the same situation with Pilot, with Berkshire Hathaway and Pilot. The, if, you know, I think if, if you have a deal where things go through and you want to call that the uh, Comcast decided that it wanted the, to go ahead and sell it, right. it gets to call the option on that to have it happen. Pilot, I think, can do the same thing. If they disagree, if it's not within 10%, you pay them out 90% of it, then right. you go to arbitration to figure out how much more value there is, what the, right. what the third party decides, and then pays them out on that. We have a whole different view of what it... It's worth more than, than that, but I'm still glad there's a floor. Oh, yeah. Right. With what happened in streaming. It's profitable somehow. I think it's worth a lot more to Disney than it is to, to Comcast. We have adult... Entertainment. Iger reiterated to. that in August, said that this is very important, that they want to be able to get to as many people with as much content as possible. And so they have said that Hulu is important really to the like strategy. like to squeeze Disney, though, if possible. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you like to hold out? Because they want it. And what? That's, well, that's just business, Sonny, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, no, I, I try not to take a position on, on, on squeezing. You, you are not a... Comcast, a loyal. I, I see what you're saying, but I don't know. Disney has been, I don't know, sour on Disney right now. You've been sour on Disney. I have forever. I have, I have ever since Comcast tried to buy them, and they said no. <laughs> and the seven magical creatures that these. And they've re, they've I know, that. I know. Under pressure to to just back it up a little, Bob, on the wokeness, please, just. Bring it back. They're redoing all bit. of that. Uh, I with, hope so. Yeah, with I, I think they're using half CG. their movie. Half their old yeah. movies are canceled. Or animated. Uh, yeah, animated. Half of them are can't. They can't even watch them anymore. Uh, well, and if it, you go back to some of them, if you go back to Dumbo, uh, there's some racist. I, there's well, I know, but stuff that was Dumbo. all these things. You know, yeah. We can whitewash everything, I guess, and in, in, in history, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it wasn't. No. No, it's just I, I've gone back and seen Dumbo again, and it's like, whoa. No. I know, I know, I know. No, the crows it's 2023. Scene that they have in Nothing is, is what, you know, Seinfeld. If, I, I think yeah. just saying Seinfeld, I can be canceled or, or at least suspended for a little while. Palantir just reporting its results. I want to get straight over to Frank Holland, who joins us now uh, with some of those numbers and some comments from CEO Alex Karp. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Over to you. Uh, we're looking at Palantir shares right now after a beat on the top line and a beat on the bottom line. Profit was seven cents compared to the estimates of six cents per share. You can see shares are up just about five percent right now. Current quarter guidance also basically in line. This is also Palantir's fourth quarter of profitability, qualifying it for inclusion in the S&P 500. CEO Alex Karp, he told me yesterday it's very important to him because it makes the company more accessible and also widely held as it would then be included in the SPY ETF. 
Karp also says that Palantir continues to work with the U.S. government, emphasized his support for Israel, and confirmed that Palantir works with the Israeli government. He added this about demand and outreach from governments. He said the rise in terrorism, it brings security to the forefront for America and its allies. The only way to effectively and ethically deal with terrorism in combat is to use software. Again, those are Alex Karp's words. Outside of government work, commercial is also the focus. U.S. commercial revenue, that jumped by 33%. Karp said he expects Palantir to be a major player in nearshoring and precision manufacturing, saying in part, we are now helping manufacturers bring manufacturing they would have done in Asia back to America because with our product, you can build a factory in America just like it's built in Asia. Uh, again, Palantir shares moving higher after a beat on the bottom line and the top line. Fourth quarter of profitability in a row, allowing it inclusion in the S&P 500. One other note, Alex Karp's at the UK AI Summit today. He says Senator Schumer's office has also reached out about another meeting with U.S. companies on U.S. AI regulation. Back over to you. Uh, Frank, it is uh, a, a, a big switch for this company because for a very long time, people were worried about, you know, whether they were going to continue to lose money. This Absolutely. has been, uh, as you said, uh, now four quarters of it. But I was really struck by that last sentence uh, in, in that letter that he wrote. Uh, you mentioned it, uh, but just to detail it, he says, we are one of a few companies in the world to stand up and announce right. our support for Israel, which remains steadfast. Palantir stands with Israel, which is a very different remark and comment than a lot of other CEOs uh, in the West. Uh, some have condemned Hamas, but very few have actually come out publicly and said they support Israel uh, as a country. Right. Um, of course, Palantir, uh, run by Alex Karp, but uh, backed uh, by Peter Thiel, uh, and uh, so many others. Well, you can so imagine that Palantir is not doing business with Hamas well, and helping them. That's for no. sure. Well, except, I, I just want to be clear. What Alex Carter made it clear that they work with the Israeli right. government and he is steadfastly standing by Israel. And he made it very clear in his statement to me that he considers Hamas a terror group, as, as does the U.S. government, right. yeah. to be clear. But what makes it so interesting is they also work with governments around the world, some of whom historically have been considered allies, allies. of America, yeah. Yeah. except that they... In, at this particular juncture and moment, some of them are not supportive necessarily of what Israel is doing or of supporting Israel per se, right? I mean, I think we've seen a number of U.S. allies, allies not be allied on this particular issue. And so it's a very interesting thing for him to come out as publicly uh, as he has. Although you've heard that uh, what they say in public versus what they're saying intimating in, in private. Saudi Arabia, for example, um, I think they say certain things, and I think they might be less strident when they're talking to us. I think the the, the talks could be on track still with Saudi Arabia. We're hearing to, right? on track with Saudi Arabia to have a, a new partnership with Israel. With Israel recognize. and Abraham Accords, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't. Well, you can imagine they the don't want to see commentary the in the private. This but this is great for own backyard for Palantir to have the. I mean, I, there's been other times where I say stay out of things, but on on this, I think it's go, Alex. Cheese will be next. Coming up, the portfolio manager profiled in The Big Short, Steve Eisman of Newberger Berman, on the economy. The yin and yang is that the consumer is still healthy, but they can't spend money on big t- big ticket items because they can't borrow. And his disappointment with his alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania, following reaction to the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel. Is there anything they could do to change your mind? Yeah, you could fire the president and the the chairman of the board of trustees immediately. Squawk Pod will be right back. 
Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. So the Federal Reserve left interest rates unchanged for the second meeting in a row. The key Fed funds rate is at a range now between five and a quarter and five and a half percent. Fed chair Jay Powell said rates were restrictive, and he suggested that it remained a coin toss about whether they'll hike at the next meeting. We've come far enough that that the risks, you know, have gotten more two-sided. You can't identify that with a lot of precision, but it does feel like the, the risks are, are more two-sided now. Are we done with the hikes? Eh, Powell said there was still a bias to hike again if the inflation and economic data don't improve. Now, after a two-meeting pause, the central bank looks willing to give the economy time to cool off and bring inflation down with it. And that is where we are going to start with our next guest. I'll hand it off here to Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Joining us now, Steve Eisman. He's Senior Portfolio Manager at Newberger Berman. And I always hesitate to, uh, to put words in your mouth, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, let me just say this last time, a matter of record, you, you said, no, 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 on the banks. Do not invest in the banks. And I, I, what I interpreted that to mean was that uh, credit conditions were tightening even though the Fed hadn't made any moves in recently. And we saw the 10-year move up above 5% in the absence of any Fed hikes, which is sort of the market doing some of the work for the Fed. Is that true? Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, I've said many times the banks right now are uninvestable, and it's three reasons. Number one, they're losing deposits. Okay. So net interest margins are going down. Uh, Loan growth is tepid at best because they're losing deposits. And the regulators have raised capital requirements again and that's not even hit returns, and it won't hit returns until sometime next year or the year afterwards. And we haven't even had a credit cycle yet. Does this all indicate to you that it's only a matter of time till something else breaks, like six months ago or whenever that was? Is that on the horizon? Or I mean, it's po- I look, if I knew what would break, I'd tell you. Does Jay Powell think it's possible something? I'm sure is- he thinks it's possible. I mean, let me just change gears for a second. I thought the most interesting part of this earnings season was comparing Visa to TransUnion, because Visa showed the consumer is still spending, and it didn't beat volume, it didn't, it didn't miss volume, it was exactly in line. So the consumer, in terms of his or her spending, is fine. But TransUnion came on and basically said that uh, loan volume on the, on the consumer side has collapsed. Hmm. That you know, the bank tightening, 
the higher rates have, have caused, is causing loan volume really to go down a lot. The fact that TransUnion was down 25% in one day is literally shocking that a company like that could be down that much. But that hasn't hit the economy yet. I mean, the yin, the yin and yang is that the consumer is still healthy, but they can't spend money on big, t big ticket items because they can't borrow. So they're spending it, maybe maybe that's why Starbucks was so good. They're spending it on a more expensive what, cup of coffee. What I'm hearing, and it's sort of a, a, a nuance that I wasn't considering, if, if loan growth slows, it's not necessarily because demand is slowing with people who want loans. It could be that deposits have fled, so the banks are... Well, the banks are tightening, and also you're not... You're not buying a house at an 8% mortgage so because you can't so afford that, it. So in that case, it is because... Yes, the part, of the, the, the part of the economy that I think is the most worrisome right now is anything that's a large ticket that the consumer needs to borrow to buy. So house, auto, solar panel, etc. Everything else seems to be doing okay on the consumer side. When we try to... We, we've also heard, had some discussions today about coincident versus leading indicators versus the rear view mirror uh, that the Fed uses. Do you think the Fed is trying to look ahead now and, and finally trying to anticipate rather than react? Uh, yes, I do. But, I, you know, I listened to Powell's press conference and I think he's just as confused by all the different data points as everybody else. Maybe that's why he's, he wants to pause because he doesn't know what to do. Will there be another hike? I have no idea. What would you do? I'd wait. See what the data says. What, what, you know, you've already raised rates so much. You know, another 25 basis points from here is not meaningful. It's more of a messaging. So wait till. But you are you expecting it a year from now that he's going to be lowering rates? No, I don't. I don't actually think we're going to. Unless we have a very bad recession, I don't think we're going to see the Fed lower rates. I think Pe Powell is still petrified of what happened to Volcker in the early. So 80s. those folks are saying buy bonds right now, right? Buy buy, buy 10 years because, you know, rates are going to come down. You don't think that's Case. I think that's way too early to make that kind of prediction. Think, I wouldn't be doing that. You think he's terrified of what happened to Volcker when he lowered rates? When he lowered rates and inflation resurged, yeah. that would be the that would be the worst possible outcome that could happen to the country and for Powell's reputation. I think he lives in more fear of that than a recession. Yeah, that makes sense. Couldn't you start buying banks now and, and buy them if they go lower? I mean, they've come down a lot, right? Still, don't touch them. You know. One thing I've learned in my career over the years is that buying something just because it's cheap is a value trap and shorting something because it's very expensive is a death wish. So, yes, the banks are cheap by any metric, but so what? Uh, you know, the opposite, what's the, what do they say? The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Right now, people are completely indifferent to banks. Now, maybe that's a good sign to buy them if you have a very, very long-term time horizon. But the thing that bothers me the most is that returns are going to go down just because of the increase in capital requirements. So what's your rush? Now, is there anything to you that, that indicates we either avoid a recession or go into a recession in the next year? I mean, right now, I'm still surprised by how strong the economy is, given how much rates have gone up. Kaplan, uh, former Dallas. I know him personally. Yeah. He, I had a sort of an awakening when he said, we have... We're spending a lot of money fiscally in the economy. As long as we're doing that, the economy is not going to slow. Um, is that that's part could of, be right. That's part of it. I mean, you know, the fiscal stimulus from all the infrastructure stuff that I've spoken at hasn't even hit. Yeah, that hasn't good. been spent. It's, it's not going to happen until next year. Hey, Steve, before you go, can I? I, I want to pivot the conversation one second, just because I know you're a major benefactor to the University of Pennsylvania. I wouldn't say major. But a you benefactor. are a significant benefactor to the University of Pennsylvania, and I believe you've gotten involved in this sort of larger debate about what's happening in universities right now. Yes. What's going on? 
Well, I mean, your interview with Mark Rowan woke me up a bit, and you know, my history with the University of Pennsylvania is, is pretty deep. I, mean, I went there, my wife met, went there, we met there. My sister went there, my brother-in-law went there, and they met there. So I, a lot of members of my family have been there. I've gone back to the university many times to speak. Um, after A couple of days after the interview, I called my contact person at uh, the university, and I said, you know, we have, we have a small um, scholarship that we created about a dozen years ago, and I called my contact and I said I wanted our names removed from it immediately. I do not want my family's name associated with the University of Pennsylvania, ever. What was the response? She was very nice, you know, she understood, and she has gotten a lot of calls like that, and um, she said she would take care of it. Is there anything they could do to change your mind? Yeah, you could fire the president and the, and the, the chairman of the board of trustees immediately. I believe they're having a board meeting today. Well, I doubt they're going to do anything, but th that's the only thing that would even move me at all. City, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, this is something that's played out again and again. And Larry Summers pointed to a letter that came from the Association of University Heads in Israel today with a long letter that they have that's out just talking about how there should be no moral equivalency when, when you're looking at a nation defending itself versus terrorist attacks that come through. All right, let me just say one thing. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the protesters are saying, and, and one of the things I really sincerely believe is that when people tell you who they are, mm -hmm. you should believe them. And the protesters, their slogan is, free Palestine from the river to the sea. Mm -hmm. The river is the Jordan River, and the sea is the Mediterranean. And free Palestine from the river to the sea means get rid of all the Jews. You know, the, the Nazis had a different way of saying it. It, it was Judenrein, no Jews. What we have in the protesters right now is dressed up in the clothing of progressivism is pure hatred of Jews. Any st my view is any student who holds up a sign that says free Palestine from the river of the city should be expelled. That's not free speech. That's calling for murder. I agree. Totally. Thank you. Steve, thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, 50,000 people are lacing up this Sunday for the New York City Marathon. The CEO of Brooks Running says demand for good shoes is keeping pace. Our customer, if they have an income and they have assets, they're still spending. We're seeing really strong demand right now in this category. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. Straight up on Becky. Thank you. The New York City Marathon takes off this Sunday on Staten Island. In town for the race is Jim Weber. He's the CEO of Brooks Running. And uh, as you walked in, you said this is running week in New York, Jim. It is. The whole industry gathers here this week. There is almost 50,000 people running this marathon, one of the largest in the world. And it's just a running week in New York. Lots of retailers in town, lots of athletes in town. 
And what's exciting for us is last year we were the number two shoe on course. We think we'll have almost 10,000 people out there running in our shoes on Sunday. So we're, we're going to cheer them on. You guys are a hardcore running shoe brand, um, but when you walked in, you also talked about how the new trend is for wearables now, yeah. that, that, that you want the shoes that look good, that you can walk around just walking around town in. Well, and we say hardcore running brand, we're very serious about great footwear, and the people that need the best shoes oftentimes are new runners, are fitness runners. They, because injury is there, sometimes it's hard, so comfort's universal. So everybody needs great shoes and great performance, but what's happened is the performance running silhouette which has great materials in it, well-engineered, fit, 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 is spreading out into walking, active lifestyle, the gym, and so the color proliferation is getting much more wearable from all the brands. Meaning it's more subdued, so you don't have some of the crazy colors? Yeah, I call it an airplane shoe because I can wear it on the airplane, maybe a casual dinner, then you go to the gym, then you can run on it. So yeah, definitely more casual colors. Andrew was asking about the ones you're wearing. I don't know if you want to stick your foot up. I'd love to stick my foot up. <laughs> We do this at dinner a lot of times. So this is our Glycerin 20. It's one of our best-selling shoes. Nitrogen-injected midsoles, incredible cushioned ride. And uh, we're really proud of this shoe, and the fit is amazing. But wearable colors. It, I'm wearing it with a suit today. We just heard from uh, the Target CEO, Brian Cornell. He said there's been a goods recession in this country for the last seven quarters. Mm. That uh, You see down, down, down. Has that been the experience with shoes? We feel so fortunate. Shoes are making the cut, and particularly running shoes. So our category in run this year is up about 5%, but here's the key. The premium segment, $100 and up, is up 17% year-to-date. So this category is really healthy, and it just reflects the fact that the silhouette is, is, is being sought after. One, participation solid, but two, our customer, if they have an income and they have assets, they're still spending. We're seeing really strong demand right now in this category. I mean, Andrew was also asking about a plate. And oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's the running shoe. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the race day shoe. Right. So um, there's a lot of innovation in our category. Cushioning is universal, but, but speed and having a race day shoe that actually helps you go faster, carbon plates in the shoes are all a rage. And, and at the competitive level, you have to have them to be competitive um, right. track and well, field. It's not just that it makes you go faster. It make, it's, it's less energy used yep. for each step. So even if you're not trying to go super fast, it makes the whole thing a little bit easier. It's got a spring in it. Right. It's basically got a spring under your foot. And it, it's 2 to 4% faster, which is really meaningful in a two-hour race. How is that even legal? Well, like, well, the governing bodies have set rules now for stack height and, and plates that we all have to abide by. So it's, it's like the golf but ball. But ever since, and dare I say, ever since Nike was the first to put this out, it's changed the number. It, you've seen the numbers change, meaning times for the, the times yeah. on races have Absolutely. fundamentally changed in the, in, in the whole Absolutely. game. Absolutely. The, the, the records are being set across distances in the sport. You mean I could run maybe a 14-minute mile instead of a 15-minute? <laughs> that, that potential is definitely there, Joe. That's an idea. Jim, I need, we, I need all the help I can get, I think. I think what's cool about it is shoes matter. And, yeah. and we've always built shoes that way for comfort and, again, stability, some of these universal attributes. But now with a plate, um, Marathon Day, you can, you can do a personal best. You can be faster. And people love that.
We, we talk about AI with almost every company that comes through. Um, I remember sizing fits for, mm. for the, the, like 25 years ago. You could go in and they would say, hey, we're going to measure your body and, mm -hmm. and use computers to tell you what size you should be. This was for clothes. You're yeah. saying for shoes. Has it gotten better? Because what, what, what I remember doing was pretty lousy stuff. It, it's gotten much better. And, and I think the fit of the shoes is better than it's ever been. Millimeters matter, especially at mile 20. So um, we're using those tools for fit, but we're gonna see AI tool sets almost across every area of a business and the applications are coming. The area we're using it right now is in design, footwear design. We're using um, artificial intelligence to really push design forward in the early stages. You onshore, where are, where are you making all these? Mostly? Um, it's still in Asia for our industry. Athletic footwear is mostly Everyone. In, in Vietnam. Vietnam, it, though. Yeah, right? oh yeah. We're, we left China four or five years ago with the tariffs. There's an opportunity there, I think, just to differentiate yourself from other... Absolutely. Things. We're working on, on um, process innovation, right. 3D printing and the like. We've got some process... We, we would like to be regional, regionally sourced all around the world. You're not That's gonna, the vision. You don't, you don't like talking about competitors, but let me just ask. The, the two shoes that I assume have come on the hottest mm -hmm. that you now must think of as competitors is on, right? Mm -hmm. That's been a total yep. shift in the whole sort of landscape the past couple of years. Hoka's obviously developed, developed, developed. Mm -hmm. Who else do you look at right now and go, that's interesting to me, and we gotta actually think about what's happening over there. So all of the athletic brands are investing in this category, and, and you're gonna see new product coming from all of them. So that's not new. Outdoor industry on the trail side, all those brands are coming, and then of course in fitness. So um, it's very competitive. But what's cool is the premium side of it is where all the growth is, and, and I think the brands you mentioned in Brooks, we've gotten a lot of that growth in the last five years. How elastic is pricing right now? It's a great question, Andrew. I'm, you know, right now, the number one selling trainer is at $140. It's our ghost and adrenaline because the frequent runner is buying two to three pairs a year. Mm -hmm. What's happening is price points are moving up to 160 and 200. Will that hold? That's a question we have. We have a good assortment at every price point. But will the consumer stay at 160 or And people keep pushing down? it. I mean, you, you could Absolutely. probably go to 180. You could go Absolutely. higher. Absolutely. But for the everyday trainers, I'm, I'm skeptical about that for an average runner that's buying two to three pairs a year. It's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Hey, Jim, thanks a lot for coming in. Are you running? I, I will not be running on Sunday, but I'll be out at a, a warm-up run on Friday. We're going to take a group to the park, and we'll be out there. Is there a collectible yet in your collection? Meaning, is there a, like the sneakerhead crazy... Um, I think great product becomes iconic, um, and some, some our adrenaline is on the 24th or 25th cycle, so there's a lot of people would love to see us come back out with the, th the three or the four. Sounds like a hint. Yeah. Okay. You know, we'll see yeah. that on StockX. You earn so. that. We're trying to earn it every day. Thanks, so, Jim. Thanks for having me. Jim Weber. That's the pod for today. Thanks for listening, and good luck to all those runners out there this weekend. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 